the most important thing that I learned was that I was beautiful, spiritual being having an earthly experience. Welcome to the Jeff Mara podcast. If you're listening to this podcast in your car or on your iPod or whatever, there also is a video of this on YouTube called Jeff Mara podcast. So you can go there and check that out as well. And today we have an awesome guest for you. Her name is Sarah McClellan. She's an intuitive healer, an empowerment coach, and she is also the author of the book 31 Dimes from Heaven, where she teaches how important it is to love ourselves and that healing is possible. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. And I think what I like about you already is you have a great energy about you. Thank you. I've been, yes, that, uh, that has, I think I was born with that. And, um, and then going through what I've gone through, it's definitely um, enhanced. And, you know, it's, it's all about giving out love and uh, just, you know, reaching out to who we really truly are. That's great. Now, I normally don't like to do this, but I think it would be appropriate for um, this podcast is, can you please give us a little life history and then we'll get into what happened to you and what caused you to have an NDE. Okay. Yes. Uh, great, great start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I was born into this family uh, that was very challenging. Um, uh, I was uh, at the age of three, um, was being bullied by my father. There was a lot of abuse in the family, very dysfunctional lot of raging. Uh, there was no religion, no spiritual background. Um, I was actually taught to worship my father. And so this, this, the childhood that I was born into was uh, extremely difficult, uh, very challenging. And, um, and at the age grade seven, I was actually reading at a grade two level because mm. I was so emotionally uh, challenged and living in so much fear that I, I, I mentally shut down. I find it interesting that you said that you were, I think you said that you were taught to worship your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we, you know, my father was a controller. Um, you know, we all, we all need to um, um, have something beyond ourselves to, um, to look up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, I think that that's a human trait. And, and when, you know, when you, when you're not taught on a spiritual level, then you need to, you know, find someone to worship on a, on a physical, you know, uh, earthly level. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my father made it very clear that he was the the ruler of the family and that we were to, um, you know, make him happy, so Mm. to speak. Oh, wow. Okay. Very interesting. Let's fast forward then to your accident and what happened? Let's start on that day. So it was uh, 1987, New Year's Eve. Okay. I, I was uh, nine months and a week past my due date pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I went into labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the labor, you know, progressed very quickly. I went to uh, the hospital um, and then the labor slowed down, uh, and the doctors uh, discovered that I had actually um, um, had shingles, and they didn't want me to do a natural birth. Interesting. And so what they 
Yeah. So what they did, because they said it could have caused blindness to the to the baby. Were you in an active form of shingles? Like, did you have the splotching on your skin at that time? I did. I did actually, and it was on the actually inside of my legs. So oh, wow. they were okay. very concerned about about her being, you know, Exposed. having exposure. And so um, my partner decided he was going to go get a bag, a pack of cigarettes, and I was wheeled down to OR on my own. Uh, and because I relaxed, uh, my tra- my labor sped up, and I ended up uh, in transition very quickly. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was New Year's Day, and all I could hear was all the nurses and doctors talking about their parties and what they had done that night before. Uh-huh. And there I was in this hardcore labor. Hanging on to, I remember just hanging on to the railing of the bed because they they had put the railings up, uh-huh. just trying to get through the 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 transact the um you know the labor. And this beautiful nurse walked up to me. I'll never forget her. It was like an her, my angel. She walked up and she knew what I was going through. She could see how I was struggling, and she wheeled me into OR. And they put me on the uh, operating table. You know, of course, they, they pinned me down. I could hear my heartbeat. I could hear the baby's heartbeat. And all these people were still just talking about what they had done. They weren't validating me in any way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I just remember going into panic mode. I can remember feeling like a deer in the headlight. I just, my eyes were bulging and I was, I was freaking out. Were you wondering, wow, I hope these people aren't still hungover from last night? Well, I just, I didn't feel valued. I felt no, like it just, it just reinforced my life story. Right. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't valued. I wasn't a person. I wasn't, you know, it just, it just re, re, you know, reiterated in my mind that, you know, I wasn't worth anything. And that's how I felt at that moment. Yeah. I get it. That's terrible. Yeah. So, so in that, so in that moment when everything, oh, and then, you know, when I, when I started panicking, the, the, the nurse that was in front of me, um, said to the doctor behind me, excuse me, doctor, but can't you tell your patient's panicking? And mm. like, that was it for me. <laughs> like, I just like, I am done. And in that moment, all I remember was just crying out to God. And I meant it from the depths of my soul. It was like, I just want to die. I want to die. Did you actually say that or just think that? I, I said it in my in my head. So the doctors didn't hear you say that? No, no. Okay. But it was just this moment where it's like, I, I honestly, I just want to die. Right. I wanna, okay. I'm sorry. God, I want to die. I'm done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. So then yeah. what happened? And so the next thing I knew, I, I, I remember falling back into the bed and then looking over to my left um, and there was this very uh, dark uh, space, and I and I as I as I I you know floated towards that space, I could hear my name being called. Um, you know, come Sarah. I kept floating to that space, and the closer I got to the space, the more pain there was. Mm-hmm. You know, it it became to the point where it was just so horrific mm-hmm. that I I couldn't I couldn't. I couldn't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I remember just crying out, you know, please forgive me. Mm. And then in that, in that instant, I rem- I was in the light. I was in this beautiful, unconditional pink light that literally 
uh, blanketed me with this unconditional acceptance of who I was, even in the mess I was in. It was just, it was just this incredible. Oh my God, I'm home. I'm home. I'm wow. home. Yeah. Did you see anything, or all you just saw was bright pink light everywhere? It was. I was just. I was this floating being that was in this beautiful light. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, and I, I, I was floating towards the crest of the light, but in the light, mm-hmm. um, I was reminded of all of these, like of these things I had forgotten. Like I was this beautiful spirit. Mm-hmm. I was having an earthly experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I wasn't all of the darkness, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was just filled with this information that was being given to me like telepathically. It wasn't like we were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I, as I floated towards the light, I just felt, Oh, I'm home. I'm, I'm just, Oh, I'm home. Thank, thank God I'm home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to the crest of the light, uh, I was asked telepathically by a being that was on the left side of the light. Mm-hmm. Are you sure this is what you want? Mm-hmm. Did you see the being or you just heard that? No, it was, I saw the being and the, and the crazy, it was like this hand, this hand came out to me and it, the hand was offered to me. Are you sure this is what you want? And it was like, am I going to take the hand or am I going to not? Um, it was a, it was an interesting uh, experience. Yeah. I just, it was, yeah, it was, is this what you want? <laughs> it's like a light being like just a, you know, like a silhouette of a person in as light? Yeah, it was, it was no face, right. no face, but it was the silhouette of this person in this cloak, um, just asking me if I was sure this is what I wanted. I don't want to switch gears here, but I want to get this because I don't want to forget it later. You're having this experience. Did anybody tell you later, like on the on Earth, what had happened to you? Like, had you just passed out unconscious, or or you know what I mean? Where, what happened in the physical world? No, you know what I mean? no, nobody. In fact, I went to the, I, I ended up going back to the doctor that was, you know, in the operating room. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to five different churches. Mm-hmm. I went to psychologists. I went to psychiatrists. And this is 1988. Um, and I just wanted somebody to just kind of let me know what, what had happened to me. What, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody, there was one pastor and I don't remember what church, but he said I was in the arms of Abraham. Mm, and whatever that meant, I, mm. I didn't know. But, um, you know, because I was not raised in a religious family. So, um, but it, but it, and that gave me some comfort. But mm. no, I, I, I was absolutely in the dark. I, there was, you know, there was no internet. Mm, there were no books. There, right. you know? I think you under, you answered me, but I just want to make sure. While you were in this other place, had you fallen unconscious or what, what was going on with your body in the, in the earthly world while this experience was going on? The only answer I got from the doctor that was in the OR was said that he said that my blood pressure dropped. Okay. And he showed, he showed me a chart and he said, yes, your blood pressure dropped, dropped there, Mm -hmm. but there was no answer. However, I had the next day I had bitten all the inside of my mouth um, I had a hemorrhoid that was the size of a walnut. Wow. Every muscle in my bone body um, was was in pain. Um, and, you know, I've kind of come to the sense now that maybe I might have had a seizure. I don't know. 
Mm. Um, I was uh, definitely a, a gestational diabetes at the time, which they didn't, they hadn't, I know now that that's what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there was no, no um, diagnosis from the doctor or anybody. I'm assuming they put you under, they saved you, and they delivered the baby C-section. Yep. And so you woke up the next day, baby's delivered, but obviously within pain and all this other stuff. Well, I, they woke me up, at, in a, in a, you know, post-op, of course, um, right. and told me I had a 9-pound, 10-ounce baby girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> which also indicates gestational diabetes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the next, the next night, that night, um, I woke up and my partner at the time that I was living with, um, was in the room. Uh, I immediately did not like him. I didn't want him in the room. (laughs) And, uh, the next morning I remember waking up and looking out. Um, it was of course, January, and there was this family that was skating on this pond um, out the window. And it was, you know, probably, you know, half a mile, not even half, like a while away. Mm-hmm. And I watched them. I watched how they were skating and I watched how they were interacting with their little girl. And I remember thinking that's what I wanted for my daughter. Well, that's great. All right, let's get back to your experience. So you you were in the pink light. This being came out, asked you, is this what you really want? And then you decided, I guess, no, I'll come back. Or I don't know, I'll let you answer that. So, so what have Yeah. So, are you sure this is what you want? And in that moment, I was like, no, I need to go back and do what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. It was just this, nope, I need to go back and do what I was meant to do. And then everything just started spinning like mm-hmm. the dark and the light and everything. It just, all of it started spinning really, really quickly. And then I remember going back in to my body through my head mm-hmm. and I looked up and I could see these like, like um, raindrops on a pond, but I could see these kind of bubbly things in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I had a high pitched hum in my ear mm. and I remember thinking, Oh, I'm under anesthetic. Mm. <laughs> and then I just settled back into my body. Mm. And I can't say I was happy to be there. Yeah, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't like I was, I, I was disappointed, but. So did you have anything else go on in that experience? Uh, no, I just, you know, it was, it was, I was just filled with incredible unconditional acceptance of who I was. And I think that's, that was the, that was the healing point for me was that I was completely accepted for who I was, even mm-hmm. though I was in all the mess I was in at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's interesting. So I guess you're saying that not only were you accepted in that place, but you also perhaps finally completely accepted yourself. I did. I did. Yes. As a spirit. Right. But when I came back to my life, it was not like that. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I had just this one experience, but what happened was I, I tried to go back into my, my life mm-hmm. as it was with a new baby, and okay. I, couldn't fit, I couldn't fit back into my life anymore. Okay. So how did you start adjusting to that? What did you do? Well, it was terrifying. I, I literally was in the audience now looking at this chaotic, cuckoo, abusive life. 
mm-hmm. um, with his children that were absolutely crazy. And he was crazy and my family was crazy. And, and I was sitting in the audience with a new baby looking at all of that going on. And I, I honestly had no idea what the heck was, was happening. And within six weeks, I took his children into social services and had them interviewed and they were apprehended and sent back to the mother. And (laughs) I ended up, I ended up in a women's shelter and there was more chaos and craziness. And I just, I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. It was terrifying. He was just your partner at the time. So you finally broke up with him. And this took two years. Two years. years. Yeah. So, so what happened was his children were taken away. They were apprehended by the mother or they were taken and sent back to the mother. Uh, she was in Ontario, and I, I fought for those kids to get into therapy because I knew mm-hmm. there was something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And that took like three years. And then what happened was I finally, well, unfortunately, my daughter started showing signs of, of um, something going on with her, and I ended up realizing I had to leave the house. And she was two years old, so it took me two years to... And that was even a struggle because he had me so messed up in my head and I was so confused with everything that was going on. Um, it was, it was a really, really challenging time for me. Um, and so I finally, I left him. Um, and then I had to start facing the fears that I had been living through, um, as a child. And, and I had to start dealing with my stuff, like my story and, and that kind of thing. So, were you getting any therapy from a therapist or, you know, like healing from a healer or what were you doing to heal yourself? I, I was, I was, because I filed for, um, um, a, a police file, mm-hmm. I was offered therapy, but of course that was very, you know, limited. Um, and so I, I did whatever I could. I, I, I went, started going to therapy. I started working through that. Um, and then um, about four years later, I found myself in a new relationship mm-hmm. um, and, you know, um, a lovely guy. And um, I was prompted to turn the TV on. <laughs> okay. And so I, I, I went and turned the TV on. It was in the evening and there was this Nova show. And it was a, a Nova show about uh, back from the light or into the light and what it was, was all these people sitting around this table, sharing their near-death experiences mm-hmm. and sharing what they had gone through mm-hmm. to terminal cancer patients, because at that time, of course, cancer was terminal. Right. And, and in that moment, it was like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Like, it was like, oh, some other people have had this experience. I'm not crazy. It was just this moment. Like they were like my family, my brothers, my sisters. <laughs> it was like, it was like a hallelujah moment. I have to mm-hmm. say, honestly, mm-hmm. and I actually still have the VCR that I threw into the TV oh, and wow. taped it. It's still on here. <laughs> That's like, amazing. A lot of young people have no idea what you just hold up. I know, mm-hmm. I know. But, but, you know, I know, and I pushed play and now I, I have it on most of it on there, but, but the, you know, the doctor that was doing the show just spoke about, you know, losing their dog eat dog and, and all these changes in these, in the people that have gone through these experiences. Mm-hmm. And for the first time I felt like I was understood. You know, it sounds like that your partner, the father of your daughter is kind of similar to 
perhaps your father. I mean, it sounded like the next guy was a nice guy. Did you continue meeting guys that were similar to your father or had you kind of changed your ways? No, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that happened, and this is a, super important, is that I had reconnected with my spirit. I mm-hmm. had reconnected with, you know, the essence of who I was, mm-hmm. but it didn't heal my earthly experience. It didn't heal what I had been exposed to as a child. Right. What it did, what it did was it, it, it showed me that that was learned behavior. That mm-hmm. was an earthly experience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't who I was, mm-hmm. but I needed to, you know, deal with it. I needed to figure out how to heal it. I needed to, you know, go through because because what I would do is I would jump, I would go into the drama, and then I would just I can't deal with this, and then I'd step back into the audience, mm-hmm. and then I would see what was going on with the drama, and then I would I would take that emotional pain that I was dealing with, and I would relate it back to my childhood, and then I would release the pain which would heal the story and Mm. so i just i just kept doing that i just kept going in stepping out Mm. realizing what was going on and and healing the story healing the the uh, emotional pain that i had been taught Mm. as a child how did you learn how to do that um you know it it, it was i i i i went to psychologists i went Mm. to psychiatrists they just wanted to talk about everything right i knew that wasn't going to work for me um, what I what I started beginning to understand was that I would I would find these people would come to me I would heal up to that point and then I knew I had to find a new healer because they could only help me to that point and so mm-hmm. I would I would stop you know working with them um, I would do some work on my own and then uh, what happened was I ended up meeting this incredible psychologist. 25 years ago mm-hmm. uh, she was woo woo at the time she mm-hmm. was like you know the granola right. and she she started doing an EMDR and a bunch of different techniques with me mm-hmm. and so what she did was she taught me how to do these techniques so I could do them on my own mm-hmm. I've never heard of EMDR what is that uh, you know it, it's a it's it's really woo woo but <laughs> oh, that's okay well, basically basically like what <laughs> basically what what it is is that you can actually use your own energy to release you can use your energy to take back an emotion mm-hmm. you don't have to know what it is right you don't have to know you know is it fear is it anger, whatever just take the emotion you're feeling mm-hmm. and you can i you with this technique that i do you can actually go right into where it originally came from Right. So it could be somewhere, usually the first seven years of your life, because those are your emotionally, um, you know, that's where you, you know, develop your subconscious mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so you just take this, you take the emotion, you go into, I, you know, with this technique, you literally go into where the, the memory and the emotion are, mm-hmm. are actually, you know, intertwined. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you either rescue the little inner child or you, release the energy and so the story the you know the memory just doesn't have the electrical charge that it had yeah i totally get that uh there is a modern technique now i can't remember what the name of it is and i used to know it and i know people who practiced it it's a series of muscle testing and tapping on you and going back into yeah. memories and and i'm helping you release it so it sounds like you are doing this on yourself 
would you sit there and maybe feel a certain emotion like fear or pain and then you and then you would try to make yourself feel that and then you would try to remember when you felt that and at that point in time you would kind of revisit that in your mind and your life and try to as you said rescue yourself is that how that works yeah, it sort you know, sort of, I think, well, the biggest shift for me, and I'm trying to get the light, sorry. The biggest shift for me was when I started discovering um, that I would wake up in the morning with an emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I started becoming very, that's actually how I discovered I was living in hopelessness and depression. Mm-hmm. Because I, I would wake up in the morning with this emotion And then I would, my, you know, my brain would want to, you know, protect me from the pain. And so I would, you know, go off and and find myself switching off into a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I actually caught myself doing it um, at this one particular morning. And so I took myself back to what I was actually feeling before I switched off. And, you know, that's when I discovered I was actually living in hopeless depression. Mm. Um, And so just taking that emotion and what I did was I went back into my childhood and I realized that my whole childhood had been hopeless. Like there was no way for me to escape what I was living through. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and so that was victim mindset, of course. Um, and so I, I released that. And, and when I discovered that, you know, what, what, I, what I started realizing was that my conscious brain wants to protect me from the pain. Right. But when I'm sleeping, my conscious brain is also sleeping. So right. what's coming up in my dreams is my subconscious. Yeah. And so I started using my subconscious emotions to heal. I actually healed toxic shame. Like I was carrying around toxic shame mm. and I actually healed that through, um, you know, experiencing it in my dream. Wow. Um, realized, you know, really thought it was just guilt Mm-hmm. Um, and then I woke up in the morning and, and, um, discovered it was way more than guilt. It was actually carrying around my dad's toxic shame. Did you ever feel like you were having the same dream over and over? And that's how you, oh. that's why it was, you had, you realized it was toxic shame. Like that was the same dream of being shamed over and over. Well, you know, it was, it was like, oh, I've had many dreams where I've had the same over and over, but that particular dream, I don't know if I, I had, Basically, the the dream was that I was um, I was going out to swim with my sister. Um, we were going to the swimming pool. I ended up forgetting my bathing suit. I had to go home and pick my bathing suit up. I walked past this house, and this poor guy was sitting on the balcony crying. Mm-hmm. I went to comfort him. Um, of course, I let my sister down, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we met up later. And it was just this whole like drama thing. And, and in that, in that, in that dream, I felt so guilty because I had let her down and then it just, it just went into, you know, more of what it actually really was. And, and the interesting thing was, and at a couple of days before I had watched, um, Louise Hay, mm-hmm. uh, she had this movie, um, it was about, you know, going through the like the passage and realizing that you know you had to release all your emotion like this whole I can't remember what it was called but I had watched that movie and it had really um really touched me and then Michael Beckwith mm-hmm. had 
was doing this something on 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 the on Facebook, and I had watched what he had done, and then he 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 said this prayer, and all of that, and then the dream just kind of opened up this whole different like new level. It was it was crazy, mm-hmm. and I knew I knew that when I it was nine o'clock in the morning, and I released that that guilt and toxic shame, and I was dancing around my my house. I knew that that was such a huge shift for me. I knew that that was life changing. I phoned my girlfriend up. She had no idea what I was talking about, but she 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 mused me. Mm-hmm. But but I was that was a big shift in my life. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> You've had the healing, and um, you look sounds like you had a lot of alternative natural healing, which I think is great. There were times when I mean, there was this moment when I was in an absolute paranoid state Uh and you know i had gone to bible studies and i had Uh tried to figure out what had happened to me Uh um you know the guy i was living with he was involved in a cult in vancouver my daughter it was my my daughter's father like the guy i was living with when i that's how i ended up getting his kids into therapy and discovered they were discovered it was discovered that they would they had actually been um ritually abused and you know i still actually have the the letter from social services mm-hmm. telling me, and that was three years after. I didn't know. I had mm-hmm. no idea. I just, you know, he would go to the ranch. He would, he worked for the movie industry. He mm-hmm. was a gaffer in the movie industry. Wow. And he, he would disappear for, you know, days at a time. Of course, that seemed very natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he always talked about going to the ranch. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it, I ended up getting his kids into therapy. And when I was fighting for custody, he wanted the custody of our daughter. Mm-hmm. And when we were fighting for custody, um, I had been in contact with one of the counselors that was taking care of the children. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. And so I gave him, she gave me her personal number. Mm-hmm. So I gave that to the, the social worker that was dealing with our case. Mm-hmm. And he called her and within days he phoned me back and said, I will not, we're denying access to the natural father. And he, and he said, I've never done this before. Um, yeah. So he was involved in a cult and that was a big shocker, but I had to put that on the back burner because, you know, it was, it was just too much. Right. It was do, too much. Do you know the name of the cult and what they actually, you know, what the rituals were? Nope. I don't. I mean, I have a pretty good idea and out of protecting you and me, I think, <laughs> You know, I have a pretty good idea. Um, I there were things that happened in Vancouver that I can pretty well say that that was um, occult practices. Um, but well, I no, you- I didn't. I didn't know anything. I didn't. De- in fact, the lady, that, the the counselor that was dealing with the children, she 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 kept asking me all these questions, like, you know, did you find books or did, and I, I didn't, I did not know what she was talking about. Yeah. I thought you mentioned earlier that you said that his children were victims of ritualist, ritualistic abuse. Yeah, they were, that it was, it was three years, like, like literally like, so my daughter was born in 88 Mm -hmm. and this letter is written in 1992. What is rich? Can you tell me what is ritualistic abuse? Uh, so it's like it was, um, you know, probably um, being reborn through a pig's a pig's um, carcass, 
there was wow. probably, um, yeah, it was pretty, from what I can tell, it was pretty satanic, but you know, that's coming from, you know, my daughter when she was three mm-hmm. and then things that I was piecing together. So they just, I don't have, I don't, you know, I, I, I was a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, he would go to work and, um, I really had no idea. I had no idea. Did he just like say, I'm taking the kids to work today and that's how they would disappear and go through this rituals or what happened with that? No, my understanding was, well, after, so when I, when I first went through my experience, I was having trouble sleeping mm-hmm. and I got some Ativan, I believe it was. And right. so I would take half. And, and so he actually started hoarding my pills mm-hmm. and um, he would take them at night and, mm-hmm. I had no idea. <laughs> Honestly, it was like crazy. You know, when I think back now and how naive I was and all of that, I, you know, I just, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm piecing it together myself. So. Mm. Wow. That's real interesting. Interesting that he's in the movie industry as well. Well, he's passed away. He's passed now, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was involved in the movie industry. I wonder at that time where other people also in the in the industry that was in his same group. Yeah, I mean there there was a ranch and you know I can I can I mean I hung out with them at times there were you know they would have parties and of course I would go and mm-hmm. so um yeah I I kind of knew so, you know I don't know I mean, I met, you know, Audrey Hepburn and Catherine Hepburn, all of those people, but you know, it, it, but I don't think they were involved in it, but, but there was definitely this group that hung out together. I mean, I even have a letter from him that I've kept that talks about him going to the ranch and, you know, Mm. I'm going to be gone to the ranch for a few days and Mm. and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was an interesting, it was an, like really now, you know, now that I'm out of that and I've been able to process and, you know, I've been on the other side, wrote the book, and now I'm on the other side. It's easy. I can look back on it and go, oh, okay. You know, I can start piecing these pieces together. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if this should go on the show, but um, I don't know if you heard about Robert or uh, um, the prostitutes that were missing in Vancouver. Um, no, I, I actually I believe that they were victimized and burnt at the stake as part of the ritual. Wow. No. Yeah. I'm down here in Texas. So. So if you were to look at uh, Pecton, the Pecton trials, Pecton trials in Vancouver. When was um, this? It was probably uh, late nineties. He had a farm in mission. Mm -hmm. And my suspicion is, is that they, because they they started finding all of the teeth and all of the parts of quite a few of the, of the, um, of the uh, prostitutes mm. and there was, there was a, there was an event that one of the, the social work, the, um, the psychologist that I was working with, she was working with my daughter and she shared a story with me that would indicate that that was what was going on. Mm-hmm. When you say in the film industry, was he like in major motion pictures or like B movies or like, you know, nope, these were, these were like major shows. This was, um, he was a gaffer. Um, you know, it was uh, major shows in Vancouver. Uh, a lot of it was California. And then, um, in the seventies, um, you know, a lot of the movies came to Canada because it was cheaper to film. Right. And there was, um, there was Lionsgate, which was one of the movie 
producers mm-hmm. and then other ones. And I, the, the one movie, the one show I remember was it was um, some rancher, can't remember his name. <laughs> um, um, probably what I would call like a Canadian series, like a, you know, a Canadian um, movie series kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. But then they also, a lot of the movies came up there. A lot of the old, you know, a lot of the movies came up to Canada because it was cheaper than filming them in the States, right? Yeah, I think there's like, maybe they don't have to pay um, maybe the union money. Maybe they get like tax breaks too, or there's, you know, I don't, I'm not in the industry to really know about that, but I do believe it's a lot ch- cheaper for them to do that. And I think nowadays a lot of film is made out of, or they produce a lot of films in Toronto area. Right. Maybe still Vancouver. And Vancouver. And Vancouver yeah. as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know for sure. But that's yeah. I mean, that's amazing story and, and good for you that you got away from him. Well, when you start thinking about what's going on in the world today, you start thinking about the cult being involved in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we could get we could go way down a rabbit hole of conspiracy. Oh, we could. We yeah, could. I yeah. have a feeling we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. You are the author of your book, 31 Dimes from Heaven. Can you please tell me about your book? Absolutely. I'd love to. So I always, you know what, I would always do these like um, visualizations and I would always see this book opened up in front of me and mm-hmm. I knew I was supposed to write a book, but mm-hmm. I, I always remember thinking, what do I have to tell anybody? Like what, what, you know, who am I? Right. And, and I was reading at a grade two level in grade seven. I was, mm-hmm. you know, basically illiterate. Wasn't, I don't think I read my first book till I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, this, you know, I just knew I was supposed to write a book. So um, when it, I, I, I ended up going to this, uh, this workshop and the inspiration was who's supposed to write a book, please stand up. So like, 500 people stood up mm-hmm. um, who, you know, in the last, who's going to write it or who started or whatever, you know, 17 people stood up, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, are you supposed to wait? Are you, you know, are you supposed to write the book? And then all of a sudden I was like the only one standing up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked around and I went, oops, like this. Of course, everybody broke out laughing because it was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be writing a book. Mm-hmm. So I figured out what was stopping me from writing and it was, I had a laptop and I couldn't really type with a laptop. So I went and bought myself a keyboard. I hooked it up to my computer and I started writing. Oh, and wow. within, within, within a week, I basically had the outline completely like from, from chapter one to chapter 20 mm-hmm. and each chapter is a, a unique story, you know, mm-hmm. within my life. And I just kept kept writing. So I would write the first layer and then that would come off me. And then the second layer would come up, the second layer of emotion. So mm-hmm. then I would write the second layer. And so what I did was I spent about two months just writing the story after my near-death experience, which was easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tried to go back to my before and it, mm-hmm. was, it was really painful. It was really difficult to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I did as much as I could and then I put the book on hold. Mm. Um, and then of course I started finding dimes, <laughs> you know, like these dimes kept showing up and, mm. um, there was this one moment where I, 
was in this basement suite. I was in a very dark place in my life. Uh, and I s- was feeling really low and I woke up in the morning and I, I ended up, I sat on the, on the, on the stairs. I was putting my running shoes on. I would go power walk when I was feeling really low because mm-hmm. that really would amp up my, you know, my endorphins make me feel better. Yeah. Um, and so I sat down on the stairs. I looked in the corner um, and there was this dime sitting there and I'd seen this dime. Like I'd seen it, I don't know, 20 times, but for some reason, there was this voice inside me that prompted me to, to reach over and pick the dime up. Uh-huh. And so I picked it up. And right in that moment, this voice said to me, Sarah, what do you believe to be true that isn't true that's creating this mess? Hmm. And it was, it was like, present moment. Bam. It's like... There I was, uh-huh. like transported into the present moment. And I started looking around about how I was living. And it was like, wow. Wow. And that was the first time. <laughs> Did you kind of have that same kind of thought process every time you found a dime? Or was it a new thing that you had to discover about yourself? No, it just kept bringing me present moment, present moment. Like I kept finding, and it was just, it was ridiculous. I mean, I even found a dime between two Lamborghinis. Like, <laughs> oh wow! And then the thirty-first dime is is mm. is a fun, fun story. So I was at that, I was at that, um, that workshop, mm-hmm. um, you know, about writing the book, mm-hmm. and I was literally working with a client, my phone rang, I was in real estate, I was a realtor, Mm -hmm. my phone rang, and I went to answer my phone. And I'm talking on my phone, and I look down on the ground, steps down. Mm -hmm. And I see this business card. And I look at the business card. And then I realized that it had been raining. And uh, I was like, Oh, it's been raining. And so after the phone call, I was working a deal closing, you know, wrapping up a a story, a deal, um, a a sale. And I went down to look at the business card because I knew it was mine. It was my business card. And right beside the business card, there was a dime. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) That was 31. Are you still (laughs) finding dimes today? I am. (laughs) I am. And you know what? It's taken me a long time. I always thought it was my grandmother and my grandmother, but my dad has been gone for 30 years. He passed away in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spent a long time working through my, uh, my, my recovery and my forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I've come to realize that it was actually my dad that's been putting these dimes in front of me. Oh, um, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. He, he's been guiding me. I've got goosebumps right now from from here to here, you know, he, he, yeah, you know, he, he realized what he'd done and he was, uh, you know, apologizing to me and guiding me on how to heal and, and what I was meant to do. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing story. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that is amazing. Um, so you wrote the book, how long has it been out for? 2016. Oh, for a few, for quite a, quite a long time then. Yeah, the second one's already coming in there. <laughs> what is the second book going to be about? You know, I have such an understanding about narcissists. Like I could tell you 
inside out backwards mm-hmm. frontwards all about mm-hmm. them um mm-hmm. i i have a lot of i got a lot of wisdom in there mm-hmm. you know i i've been so guided and so um inspired and and you know my own healing and just i just you know there's nothing more important than helping people heal so it's just this whole mesh of information that i just want to get out there you know mm-hmm. um yeah i just it's uh i think it's going to be about narcissists because i think there's so many people out there that struggle with dealing with narcissistic mm-hmm. relationships i mean at some point i guess we're all a little bit at least self-centered but oh absolutely maybe, but you i have guess to be- but I guess maybe maybe with the internet and Facebook and Instagram and all these other things, maybe that's making us become more narcissistic. What do you think? Um, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting because I think people are searching. What happened when everything got shut down, all of a sudden everybody had to start to face their truth. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and it was so ironic because, you know, when all this came down and I realized that everybody's, you know, north point everybody's you know understanding everybody's like you know their 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 um their safety net their you know was pulled out from under them mm-hmm. um they let you lit they literally you know the rug was pulled and they had no no um north star yeah and th- and that's exactly what happened to me when i had my near-death experience so mm-hmm. you know i could really relate to what everybody was going through like mm-hmm. i could totally it was like it was like reliving. I actually, I actually had to deal with some of my own fears and tried to, you know, because it triggered me. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, this is really weird. And then I realized what everybody else is going through. Yet I mm-hmm. went through it alone, you know, mm-hmm. thirty-two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so um, yeah, that was an interesting shift for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just for and so what I'm doing now is I go on to all these different, you know. Um, platforms and Facebook and I just speak as truthfully as I can without being um, harmful just to have people and they go oh my gosh you make so much sense oh my gosh you make so much sense oh my gosh you make so much sense it's it's not complicated healing is not complicated Hmm. you know it's 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 very very basic and very easy if you can open yourself up to it when did you become an intuitive healer I think, you know, I, I think I've always have been, I've always had that ability to um, listen between the lines. That's kind of how I explain it because when someone talks to me um, and shares some of their, their journey, I can actually almost pinpoint what, where they start, where it started, what they're struggling with. I don't, I don't always tell them that because it could freak them out, but you know, I, I can pick up on what they're saying um, and just with a few, you know, strategic questions, mm-hmm. I can literally take them back to what needs to be healed and then just do a process and, and help them heal like right then and there. Um, the only thing I always warn people is that you have to be really ready to heal because this, this isn't, this isn't like a, you know, a four month therapy. This is like, okay, let's, let's get down and dirty. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. How long have you been doing uh- I've been, well, I've been certified, uh, I'm a certified transformational coach, empowerment coach. Um, I, I, that's only been like, like two years, but, um, you know, I've been helping people heal for like probably 15 years. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I noticed that you said you're also an empowerment coach. Is that kind of, isn't that kind of the same thing or is that a little bit different being an empowerment coach? Well, I say because intuit, I'm intuitive to what you need to heal, but mm-hmm. an empowerment, like I, I, I take people back into their, let's say you were bullied. Right. Um, you never faced your bully. You, you, you still have that intimidation um, and the hurt. Mm-hmm. And what happens is with that energy, you keep sending that out into the universe. And so what the universe does, it just keeps matching. So it's going to keep bringing bullies into your life. It's going Mm -hmm. to keep recreating what you have stuffed in there Mm -hmm. because it's energy and you can't, you know, no matter how much anybody says manage your energy, manage your emotions, you can't do that. It's going out into the universe. So, so what I do is I take, I take that person, I take them back into when they were first bullied. I have them face all the emotion And then what I do is I get them the adult person they are now to go into that situation to pick up the child or if it's 12 years old or three, whatever is appropriate. Um, I have them, you know, pick the child up, uh, just hug them, tell them how much they love them. They're safe. They're secure. You know, just fill them with all of this, this empowerment and knowing that, that, you know, they are loved. And then I have them face the bully, face the situation. I tell them, do what you have to do to take back that power. You know, if you have to punch them in the face, you have to swear at them, there's no right answer, but do whatever you have to do to take your power back. And then when they fully take their power back, then I have both of them walk out together, Mm. supporting each other back into the present moment. Mm, That's interesting. Is it kind of done like under hypnosis? I mean, you you know, a lot of people, I think... I mean, or at least in a relaxation, you know, a lot of people I think confuse hypnosis as like, okay, you know, I hold the watch in front of you and then, okay, now act like a pig, you know, or whatever. But I mean, when I mean, when I say hypnosis is kind of just like you put the person in a relaxed state, maybe they're laying down or sitting with some, you know, music and then you have them kind of visualize this stuff. Is that the way you're doing it? You know what? I really, tr- it's, it's completely individual. I don't, I don't have a script. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I have them go back. They don't, oftentimes they don't tell me even what they're experiencing. You know, I just, I just want to know how old they are because, you know, for example, I dealt with a young man that had been abused at 12. So you're not going to pick the 12 year old up. You're going to stand behind the 12 year old and you're going to support the 12 year old. You know, if someone's three years old, then you're going to pick the three year old up and hold them and hug them. And, you know, it's a different, it's just a different scenario, but that's all I need to know. Right. I don't go into, you know, the script and this and that and walk through this and that. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's just a hand, like it's, it's, it's it's the person doing this process to themselves. So, and, go ahead. I was going to say. So let's just say we were having like a mock up, uh, uh, you know, session together, like just like you and me. We kind of play play with it a little bit. Like um, I would be here and I'd be like, "Yes, yeah, Sarah, I'm coming to see you because I, you know, I I just have this problem with bullying and maybe some insecurity and." And, you know, can you help me with that? And then you would probably just say, okay, tell me about when you were bullying or tell me, how, well, what would you do? I don't want to go into full, I mean, you know, we're just making this up, but I was just kind of curious on what you do in a session or how well, you do I mean, it. So my intuitive, um, my intuitive nature would have already clicked into a bunch of different oh, things yeah. just by 
seeing the person. Right, right. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Know? I said, there's nothing intuitive here. So since we're just yeah, making so, it up, it's, so hard I for can, me, it's hard for me to, uh, to you put know, you in that I, situation. Yeah. No, like, yeah, yeah. I can actually sort of, like, I can look at a picture and give you some kind of idea of what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Just by facial expression. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's what I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I can, you know, I can pick up a, a lot. Um, I mean, I had this woman that I was working with a couple of weeks ago and we were chatting away and, and, um, you know, she, I figured out why she has rheumatoid arthritis. Like mm-hmm. it just came to me. It was like, oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just this. And, and, you know, it's, I mean, I was working with a, another guy that um, we were, you know, went back and rescued his little boy from his dad, who was a major, and he wasn't purposely being a bully, but he was a bully. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, he was walk, we, we, he walked out with his little three-year-old. And I said to him, like, is there a swing set around where you live or something? Because you need to go swinging. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I used to go swinging when I was a kid. It was right by my house. And, you know, like it was just, and that's sort of what happens is I just get these, um, this information that I use and help people. Mm. So. Do you use any of your experience as being a healer or a coach in your book? You know, I, it was written in 2016. Um, I did a lot of healing through writing the book. Um, mm. And I share all of that with the book. Uh, I broke through toxic shame and that's kind of where I left it. Mm-hmm. And when I broke through the toxic shame, uh, this whole other level of me came out um, where I was more, um, you know, deeper conversations, more in tune with people. Mm-hmm. And that intuitive has really, you know, gone from 16 to now mm-hmm. it has really, I've really honed in on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, a lot of what the next book needs to be about is like how that happened. And um, it's just, it's just a natural state for me. It's not, it's not that I try. I just, Mm -hmm. I just see, Mm -hmm. you know, I just see what's going on and, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been like the, especially the last two years. Is that your full-time job at this point? It is. Wow. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Yeah, can't say I'm doing really well at it financially, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I I work with people that can't afford either because the last mm-hmm. thing I can do is turn my head away from someone that's mm-hmm. in, in pain. I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, is that like your life's passion? Like, for example, do you love that? Or if I gave you a hundred million dollars, would you still do that, or would yep. you do something else? No, nope, I would do it, and probably for free. <laughs> Everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my my goal, my passion is to have is to teach people how to do it. And go teach other people. That's great. Are you actually you know, te- are you actually teaching? Have you ever thought about getting into that? Yeah, you know what? I worked with uh, special needs for. I've always been like a, what I called the uh, the uh, teacher wannabe. I worked for the school district um, in my town for fifteen years. Love mm-hmm. the kids, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I called myself a teacher wannabe. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's great. You know. When I was a chiropractor, and I still today, I mean, there's nothing, uh, there's almost no better high, for me at least, than taking someone and with your hands, you know, getting them out of pain. I literally mm-hmm. could do that for free. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know what people believe or not believe about chiropractic. I tell people it's a science, not a religion. You don't have to believe in it for it to work. 
but and you can't fix everybody all the time and or even just everybody but you, you we and they do help lots of people helping people and getting someone out of pain is it's a real high and i could do it for free the problem was that i just i still had to pay the bills <laughs> I really didn't really like the business of medicine that much, but you know, you've got to pay the rent and your insurance and the telephone bill. And right. it's a, it's unfortunate to get into all that. So I can yeah. totally get where you, where you're coming from that, you know, you really enjoy helping people. Yeah, I do. I do. It's, you know, I, I spoke to a young guy a couple weeks ago and uh, you know, I said like, you know, financially and he said, I don't have any money and mm. I could, I couldn't, I couldn't say, okay, bye. See you later. (laughs) You know, so I did two sessions with him and completely uh, changed what was going on in his world. So it would be amazing if you changed his world so much, he got a job and then he said, Hey, Sarah, you know, um, I couldn't pay you, but you know, I made a lot of money and here's a couple hundred bucks. I'm going to send you a check in the mail. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the key, the key thing for me is that I, I, I've been through so much in my life that I can understand your story. Mm-hmm. I can understand you. Like yeah. I totally get it. And, and, you know, I, I share with them what I've gone through and, and uh, you know, there's this connection and, and that's a big part of it as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you are that you're working on right now besides the book that you want people to know about? No, I just, you know what, I, I'm working on the book. I'm, I'm open for anybody that needs, uh, you know, a, a, um, um, what do you call it? Sorry. Having a moment. I, (laughs) you know, a intro, a console that feels that they need, you know, need to heal if they want to, you know, reach out to me. Um, I'm more than open. I'm looking, I'm thinking of starting a, a, a masterclass where I'm going to be just teaching. See, this what I teach can be, you know, rescuing your inner child, but it can also be um, relieving mental blocks, mind blocks, something that's stopping you from being successful in your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be, you know, uh, recurring uh, memories because when you have memories that keep coming up, there's emotion attached to that memory that mm-hmm. needs to be released. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, that can, I can, and then I teach people how to do it so they can wake up in the morning and put it into part of their, uh, their morning ritual, their morning, you know, program, morning processes to mm-hmm. just go in and release whatever feeling they're having. And the feeling can be something very little as, you know, a, like um, a belief that I should be overwhelmed. You can, mm-hmm. I can literally help you release overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I can help you release believing that you should be stressed or frustrated, or I can help you go in and release toxic shame and, and uh, deep rooted pain. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a, it's a very unique process. So. How do people find you? I mean, if they want to get an attitude, you know, some healing from you, how do they find you on Facebook or do you have a website? I have I have a website in process. It's uh, called it's called uh, Present Living Academy dot com. Mm-hmm. That's my website, and then you can just you can Facebook me at Present Living Academy as well. Oh, okay, that's great. And where do we find your book at? Besides, I'm assuming it's on Amazon, right? It is on Amazon. It's on Amazon and it's on Kindle. Um, yeah, both Canadian Amazon and and actually all across the world. 
You mm-hmm. can go on Amazon. Amazon and Kindle. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I had a guest previously that does past life regression. Mm-hmm. Now that you've had your experience, um, one thing is, do you believe in reincarnation or not? Or did you get anything else out of your experience like that that made you believe that we may come back or we go there and that's it and we stay in a heaven-like place? You know, I I, I wasn't given any information about that. One of the things that I know for sure is that, you know, we we come into a family – and we have parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and great great grandparents, and they all have they all have issues, mm-hmm. and and then if they don't deal with them, if they don't release you know the emotional energy and that sort of thing, they're going to pass them down to the next generation, right? And then the next generation, and then the next generation, and so when you you know these days dealing and releasing that kind of emotional. Um, you know, pain and that is, it's, it's, it's not uncommon now, but it wasn't that way when my mom was a kid or when my grandmother. So, so we carry all of that past generation stuff, Hmm. (laughs) so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, in my life I had to release my mother, my grandmother was orphaned, my, you know, it just, the story keeps going. Mm -hmm. And so I had to release a lot of that uh, through this, literally this process I do. Um, but as far as, you know, past life, past regression, I have, I honestly don't have an answer. I don't, I, it, it kind of makes sense to me, but I, I have, I have no idea. It just wasn't part of my experience. Hmm. Do you fear death now or not fear death since your experience? I, f- I fear not doing what I'm supposed to do before I go. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't, I don't fear death, but I don't, I do fear how I die. Like I don't want to suffer. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm okay suffering physically, but I don't want to, well, maybe I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I think that the way I die is probably my biggest challenge. You know? Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, you know, you don't want something painful. Yeah. I mean, my babies, they're all older, they're gone and they're grown up and all that. So I don't really have that worry, but, um, yeah. Um, just, just, I'm going to be old. My grand, my mother's 85. My grandmother was nine hundred and one. I mean, like, <laughs> wow. So you have great genes. No, I'll be around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, before we wrap it up, can you give us one message of hope, healing, something positive for us to leave this podcast with? Absolutely. So the most important thing that I learned was that I was beautiful, spiritual being, having an earthly experience. And one of the things that I discovered was that when I was in the audience, when I was out of the drama, out of the emotion, and actually in the audience, that's when I was in the present moment. And that gave me the ability to look at what I was dealing with, make a cognitive conscious decision about what was right for me and, and, you know, heal what I had to heal. When I was in the drama, believing that I was the drama, 
uh, I was, there was no possibility of me ever understanding that. So go into the pre- pull out of the drama and we've all done it. We've all had those points in our life where we have to make those decisions and we mull it back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden we pull back, we go into the, the, the audience and we make a decision based on what's best for us. So, and that's when you're connected to your, your, your higher self, when you're in the audience, you're actually connected to your God, your, your higher self, your spiritual self, but however you want to look, whatever you want to say. But so that, that is probably the, the biggest gift that I was given. And, um, you know, I, if, if you can understand that, that's, you know, that's the gift I want to give. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to kind of expand on that before we go. I don't really, I'm not really clear. And it's it's interesting that you just posted that. Like if you understand that, you know, cause I'm not understanding that. Can you please give me a little bit more about what you mean by being in the audience versus being in the drama? So when, let's say you have a, you know, you have a decision to make about your life mm-hmm. and you mull it back and forth. And then somebody says to you, get out of your head. Get out of your head. So then you get a piece of paper, you put a line down, you do pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the pros and I'm going to do the cons and figure out what's in my best interest. Well, when you're actually doing the pros and cons, you're now not in the drama. You're now pulling back and you're actually looking at it from a different perspective. Right. So the And the other way that you can look at it is, you know, you keep losing your keys. You take, if you've got, if, put your keys in your hand put them on the table and look at where you put them. Mm-hmm. Look at the table, look at the, the keys. And mm-hmm. in that moment, you're looking exactly what's going on. That's the present moment. Right. And I guess the problem is a lot of, most of the time, a lot of us aren't in the present moment. We come home, toss the keys. Our mind is still at work. Not where, you no, know, you know what it actually, what it is, is we're defaulting into the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're defaulting. We're literally, our subconscious mind was created between the ages of zero and seven. And that's, a lot of people don't understand that that's also your emotional makeup. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what you're about. Like you are, your emotions, everything you experience between zero and seven is your emotional intelligence. So what happens is, Something will, something will, so, so let's say you're driving your car, um, you hear a song on the radio and bam, you're back in the subconscious mm-hmm. because that's taking you back. And then you get to work and you go, how the heck did I get here? Right. I don't yeah. remember driving to work. Yeah. That's, be, that's because you've defaulted into your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you start realizing that you spend, you can spend 95% of your day defaulting. Right. Um, that's why that's why when t- time passes really quickly as we get older, you know, when 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 we're young, we're still learning all of that emotional memory. We're like zero to seven. Christmas takes like Christmas is supposed to be two days and it's like 400 days in our mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like right. forever. Right. Well, what happens is when we get older, we now have this emotional subconscious memory and we keep snapping back into it. So time just keeps going so fast. And as you heal that, as you release that, time slows down. You just took my question, you know, right out of my head. <laughs> I was going to say, well, how do you stay out of your subconscious? You have to release it. You have to release the emotional, um, 
the emotional memory that's connected to the event. The mo- so you have the events and you have the, the emotion and they get connected. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you literally have to release the emotion that's connected to the event because mm-hmm. it's the emotion that keeps pulling you down into your subconscious. And once that's released and gone, then you spend more and more time in the present moment. Hmm, that's very interesting. Where did you learn that from, if you don't mind me asking, that most of your subconscious is learned from zero to seven? Well, Dr. Bruce Lipton. The name sounds familiar, but I don't What is Doctor? He? Yeah, YouTube, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he will explain exactly how conscious, subconscious, he's brilliant. However, a lot of those... You know, they it, they don't go the step further where you actually have to release it. They just kind of they kind of share that you know we keep slipping. They he believes Dr. Bruce Lipton believes we slip into our subconscious ninety five to ninety seven percent of our day if we're not aware of it. Hmm, that's interesting. But uh, when you say we're slipping into it, are we slipping into memories between zero yep. and seven? Yeah. I mean, I can say I'm probably guilty of not being in present time, but I don't really find myself in memories of between zero and seven. You probably don't. Well, I mean, you think, what do you remember between zero and three? Yeah, not almost nothing, it seems. Yeah, but you still have emotional memory. Hmm. You were were in the family and you had all the drama and everything going on in your family. So there's still, there is information in there from zero to three and then zero to seven or three to seven, um, you know, and you probably have more memory as you get to be, you know, four five, six, seven, but there's all that other stuff that you don't remember that's sitting in there. Um, and you slip into it. It's just, everybody does, you know, think about, think about, you know, think about, this is what I always like to use. Like you're in school, you're in grade one. Um, all of a sudden you hear the teacher saying, Sarah, stop daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not daydreaming. You're slipping into your subconscious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something has triggered you and bam, you're in the subconscious. You know, mm-hmm. somebody can be looking at you and pointing their finger. You don't hear anything they're saying and they're looking at you. Going, you're not listening to me. And it's because you, whatever they've done has triggered you and taken you back into your subconscious. Mm-hmm. You know, three days later, you had a conversation with someone three days later and you go, ah, I should have said this and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. It's because how they were speaking to you or something they did was triggering you back into some subconscious memory and you weren't in the present. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very fascinating. I just, I don't I, know how I learned it. I just figured it out. <laughs> I, I guess I'd, I, I guess what I could do on my own in the meantime is just kind of start, you know, when I feel realize myself daydreaming can I sit there and go, can I connect this to somewhere between zero and seven as I'm daydreaming? Do you think that would be well, helpful? Yeah. What I, what I, what I started doing and how I realized this was I started, I, I would find myself in this thought about somebody, about a past relationship. And I would go, how did I end up here? <laughs> why, why am I, why am I here right now? And so what I would do is I just started tracing it all back and going back into, oh, I saw a Mercedes, like literally. Mm-hmm. I saw a Mercedes car, bam, I'm down in the hole. And that's how I started realizing that I was being triggered and I had to, you know, go, you know, go in and release 
the emotion. So let's just say the Mercedes, the Mercedes meant something to you at age four and something. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't know whatever level, you know, I'm just guessing on, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter the age, but the Mercedes then would, you would say, okay, Mercedes triggered that. And then you would say, hmm, what happened in a Mercedes when I was a kid? And why is this a trigger point? And then you would think about, oh, I remember when I was a Mercedes, my father slapped me for talking in the face for talking too loud or something. Is that kind of how you would do it? Yeah, that's exactly. And then, and then when, once you realize that, then that's something you need to release because there's an emotional, there's an emotional trigger or emotional energy that's, Mm -hmm. that's triggered, you know, that's caught up in that memory. Do you think that the release would be just re-experiencing it again? That would kind of. No, you know, the process that I do literally, um, like it releases it, you know, it, it, um, I mean, recently I just honestly released resentment towards my mother. You know, it was uh, just something that came up, something happened, and I realized I was still hang- hanging on to resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 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 I just, you know, used the process that I do. I went back in and I released, um, you know, this, this, you know, this feeling of resentment. And then, of course, you know, the most important thing to always remember is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, forgiveness, not just of what they've done. But also right. forgiveness of myself because, you know, I allow, I, you know, on some level let that happen, right? Right. So you would basically, with your process, you would go back, you would try to see the event that happened. You would tell your younger self that everything was okay. Hug your younger self. You don't have to do that every time. No. It's just, you know, you don't have to go in. You know, those are the big events. Those are like the bullying events and the victim mm-hmm. minds that maybe, um, you know, um, b- abuse when I, I take the adult in. But then there's other times when you can just do the process and just release the feeling. Mm-hmm. You just release it. You literally go through a bunch like you're the, the, you don't have to try and go in there. The pro what I do will actually the process that I do will actually take you. The emotion will take you right back to the original mm-hmm. event. So you don't even have to, I just, I just tell people, just let your thoughts take you where they're going to take you. Like there's mm-hmm. no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And you literally just go in and the event, the original event will come up in your mind and then we'll rewrite the event. So, you know, and then sometimes you don't, that's not, you just release a bunch of different events um, you know, and just, and just let it go. And then what I do is I have the person, um, put positive affirmations in, into the, uh, molecular cells. Like I'd get them to go in and, and rewrite their molecular, you know, cells. I am lovely. I'm loving. I'm, I'm whole. I'm whatever, whatever has to do with what they've just released. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have them do that. They decide what the words are. I, all I do, I'm just the mediator. I'm not, I don't tell them what to do. And I don't, um, I just let them do what the, what healing they need to do mm-hmm. with me, you know, just um, being the mediator and, and, you know, supporting them into going into the proper protocol to heal. Right. Do you find that when you retrace the steps, like you, you know, you notice yourself not in present mind, you kind of retrace your thoughts to back to whatever triggered it. Once you get to the trigger, does it immediately come up? What happened to you as a child? I mean, is it, no, 
Is it, you know, like, oh, Mercedes, aha, when I was four, this happened. Is it easily to, to make that jump from the trigger to the past? No, no, no. And, 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 you know, the, I mean, you have these events that happen as a child. So let's say, you know, you, you had a narcissistic parent, um, you were bullied, you keep attracting bullies, narcissists, you, you keep doing that. Um, so you get to a point when you're at this, you know, this, you know, God or the universe will always throw it in your face over and over again. And some, it gets worse and worse until you finally, you know, realize it. Um, and so you, you end up with this narcissistic person, you keep going back into, you know, the, the destruction of the relationship. Um, but that's not the original event. That's just universe showing you what you need to heal. The original event is, you know, normally usually between the first seven years. You know, it could be it could be teen years too, you know, with bullying and that kind of thing. But but you know, it just it's just it's the window of opportunity for you to see what you need to heal, and then taking that window, the emotional window that you have, and and you know, taking it back to where it originally came from. So yeah, it's a little more complex than just you don't just have this. You know? <laughs> oh, that's what it is. No, right. sometimes you do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting is when we were speaking earlier about there's that technique and I still can't remember what the heck that, that technique is called. And it was kind of, you know, um, to deal with muscle testing and stuff like that. And I, and I don't know how much you know about muscle testing, but the, yeah, I know, I know all it's about kind it, of yeah. like a, you know, like, I don't know, like a lie detector test, a physical one, but anyways, it seems like they go back. Okay. Did this happen? 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Oh, 30 years ago. Yeah. Okay. What happened at yeah. 30 years ago? Did this, da, 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 da. I've never had the treatment. I just kind of watched it and it seemed really fascinating for me. It seems like that there's a lot of different techniques out there to kind of get you back to the past, rediscover what happened, see it as face value and release it. I'm kind of oversimplifying things, but. No, it's actually that easy. <laughs> Basically, that seems yeah, kind of where we're at. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that's the, and that's you know. I mean, there's so many people out there that are all like you know going into this guru, this mm -hmm. and that, and mm -hmm. managing this, and you know, you know, being in the you know this space. And I'm not going to say you know there's some spaces where you know who I was talking about. And I'm like, ah, it's like, you know, let's just get down to brass now. Knuckles, it's not that difficult. Right. You know, I don't want you to worship me. I don't want you to, you know, I want to help you heal. Like, right. that's it. Like, let's just get healed. Let's get this done. Let me teach you how to do it. If you need to work with me, cool. But my job is to work myself out of a job. Right. I'm, a, I'm a coach. It's my job to work myself out of a job. I want you to be independent. I want you to, you know, get your healing together. And, um, you know, if you need me every once in a while, cool. But you know, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm like, yeah, I, I have a really hard time with, I don't want you following me, worshiping me. Like, <laughs> Sounds like you're the opposite of your father. We don't want any worship. Of you. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. You're right. It is. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I, you know, if you want to work with me, that's cool. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I help you heal so quickly that it wouldn't, you really, you know, your life will change quickly, honestly. I feel like that all this stuff could be your third book. After yeah. After you finish up the narcissist book, then the third book is helping people heal. 
I think that I think the narcissist book will be really short. <laughs> like I'm really blunt. It's like you know, denial is not your friend. I think that's just basically it. You know, I really, uh, yeah, yeah. The narcissist book, like I, I because I broke through my toxic shame, and the interesting thing that I discovered was that I literally had the same pain. I was living in the same pain as a narcissist, yet I was the people pleaser. So what I would do is I would, I would, um, you know, do everything I could to help him alleviate his pain and take his pain on. And, um, you know, and he would dump his pain on me. So it was Mm. sort of this dance that we did. So when I, when I released my toxic shame, I realized that I also was living in the same pain as he was. It was Mm. just, you know, managing it in a different way. Yeah. No, that's interesting. You know, this was a really interesting podcast for me because it started out, you know, I thought it was going to be all NDE, even though it was a very big part of your life. It's also a small part of this, all this, you know, yeah, and, you went, like, and it went into a completely different direction, which I, I didn't expect, but, um, still it was very interesting and I really appreciate you being on with me. I appreciate all your time. I wish you massive success with your book and your new books I wish you lots of students and lots of new clients and anything else you want to be successful at. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'm sorry the lighting was so bad. I'll have to figure that out for next time. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. It's not a problem (laughs) at all. Gives it sort of a a Halloween kind (laughs) of. Yeah, I'm going to make it look really spooky when we go back to the cult part. We'll That's cool. You know stuff. what? It, it has been awesome chatting with you. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, thank you for for uh, mm-hmm. just the great questions. And and um, we'd love to come back again. You know, yeah, I have well, many. Other, I have many. I have many other stories. <laughs> well, well, let's get together on when you have your next book out. Oh, there's a plan. Yeah, that would be great. Absolutely. So we can kind of you know Absolutely. we can talk about the next book and see what's going on and kind of catch up again. I'd love that. That'd be great. Love that. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you very much, Sarah. Have a great evening. Night. Bye-bye. See you later.